0: 702. The Midday Report with Mandy Weiner. Live. Online. The 702 app. DSTV Channel 856,
1: 92.7 and 106 FM.
2: Coming up on the show today, the ANC-NEC ends its meeting today. Becky Taylor has been speaking about illegal mining. Proven Gordon to talk on SOEs. President Ramaphosa is addressing the Green Hydrogen Summit and celebrating the Springboks. A confession in the spotlight at the Senzo trial, a court challenge over the Zulu throne. And we'll go to Paris to gauge the reaction to the Bach win over the World Cup hosts last night. All of that over the next hour. 2
3: Let's walk the talk.
2: Good afternoon, South Africa. Welcome to the Madeira Report on 702 and Cape Talk today with me, Mandy Wiener. How are you feeling today? Uh, do you feel like you are sleep deprived? Do you not care at all? I know many people saying we should have had a public holiday today, but we are all united in our sleeplessness after that Bok victory last night. It really was uh, quite something to to witness. And I think uh, the whole country feeling the same way today, just uh, an air of celebration I, I thought when, when Jacques Nienaber, the Springbok coach, walked onto the field and was eating a toasted sandwich with one hour until kickoff, that we were going to be okay. The fact that he was so cool, and eating a toasted Sami, I thought, okay, we've got this. It's going to be all right. So hopefully, uh, we'll we'll get a report from Paris a bit later on today, just to get us give us a sense of what's been happening. But let me know how your day is going so far today. Have you been able to to cope at all today? Uh, is it all everyone is talking about? Send me your WhatsApp voice note: oh seven two seven oh two one seven oh two oh seven two five six seven one five six seven. In fact, President Soro Meposa, who did have a a phone conversation uh, with Jacques Nidabe yesterday, or was it Rossi Rasmus? I'm not sure which one. Um, He has started off his address at the Green Hydrogen Summit in Cape Town today, speaking about what everyone is speaking about today. And uh, he spoke about whether or not we were going to get a public holiday uh, this week or next week or the week after. Have a listen to what the president has had to say.
3: I've spent the better part of the morning trying to speak to President Macron just to commiserate but we have not been able to talk and we talk often about the highs and the lows of both of our countries and I'm sure that we will be able to talk later. But South Africans are reveling in this incredible success that uh, Our boys have achieved in Paris. Many of them felt that we should declare today as a public holiday, and I declined, and I said we will only consider that when they win the final, at which I will personally be present.
2: So it just takes a, a victory, a World Cup victory, for us to get a public holiday from from the president. Uh, do you think today should have been a? I don't think today should have been a public holiday. I know it's tough on a on a Sunday night, but hopefully, if we win, uh, we'll we'll get one. Um, but the the president, I mean, he could sound a little bit more excited, a little bit more animated. I hope he does get hold of uh, President Macron so that they can uh, share share some notes. Uh, President Macron was in the in the stadium last night. So maybe he can tell him what it felt like to lose by one point. So we are going to uh, check in with what's happening at that Green Hydrogen Summit in a little while. We'll speak to our, our reporter there. Uh, today is also the final day of the ANC-NEC meeting taking place in Gauteng. Uh, the Public Enterprises Minister, Pravin Gordon is expected to brief the ANC's NEC later today. And he's expected to speak about the country's state-owned enterprises. We have seen a I don't know if you call it a mass exodus. We've seen a number of resignations uh, happening over the past couple of weeks. The ESCOM chair, Mpomakwana's resignation. Um, Fakila Mbalula, the ANC Secretary General, was speaking about that over the weekend, expressing concern, saying that the resignation was a challenge that came at a time when they believed there was some sort of stability at ESCOM. Uh, also, a series of resignations at both Transnet and Prasa over the past couple of weeks as well. So we're expecting Pravin Gordon to speak about that. The police minister, Becky Tkele, has been speaking at a press conference in the last hour or so. He's been speaking about illegal mining. Have a listen to what Becky Tkele has had to say about the SIU investigation and arrests that have been made.
1: We have moved up to the major level. For instance, we've got nine people that have been arrested uh, who are middlemen. Middle. Trust of some form on these amazamas, and those people they own beautiful houses. Uh, when we visited their houses in Catonville, all the is imported uh, is an Italian furniture in there. Uh, in their in their yards, yeah, there's some few Lamborghinis parked there, <laughs> and you realize that these are, are big guns. There are nine these guns, and uh, <clears throat> the, the 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 SAU. As, SIU has already attached 51 of their cars and seven houses, and that could be up to the, the property on 38 million. So they are caught going as we as we speak. Uh, six of them will be foreign nationals, three of them are South Africans. So we're dealing with that. But we're also dealing with the with not, not just Zamasamas, the takeover of mines as we have seen in Northwest Uh, there is a mine that we have tackled, we have taken trucks, we have arrested the owner and all that. And three weeks ago, it happened in Limpombo, where we've taken machinery and equipment of 60 million rand, people that they run the company without license, without anything, and they put that kind of thing, a 60 million equipment. So we, we are, but President has said, don't deal with it as individual departments. Just go, and indeed, we have sat down and we have given the budget for that. Uh, maybe want to preempt it.
2: That is the Police Minister Becky Kele speaking at a, a briefing earlier today with uh, some senior members of the ANC uh, on the final day of the ANC's NEC meeting. Uh, we will speak to Tidi Madea a bit later on in the show, our reporter there, our politics editor, Associate Politics Editor, about what's been happening at that ANC NEC meeting.
1: 702, the Midday Report. Monday to Friday,
2: 12 to 1 p.m. Taking place in Cape Town today at the Century City Conference Centre. The second Green Hydrogen Summit uh, kicked off today. The Western Cape Premier, Ellen Windy, opened the summit. The Electricity Minister, Josien uh spoke earlier. The President has also been speaking today. Let's find out what's been happening there with Babalo Ndenze, EWN reporter. Babalo, good afternoon to you. What has the President said at the opening of the Green Hydrogen Summit?
4: Uh, good afternoon indeed um, um, yes mandy a president addressing the, com- uh, the, the summit i 'm um, giving the keynote address virtually and basically informing delegates that the hydrogen economy has a key role to play when it comes to the country 's economy and you know by two thousand and fifty even making some some estimates or projections saying that by two thousand and fifty um, the the, the h- green hydrogen economy could um, contribute about three point six percent to GDP, and he also also says that this this green hydrogen economy has the potential to create over three hundred thousand jobs in the country during that process or when it does come into fruition. And the president um, really, mainly, saying that um, you know the, the the people that are present at the summit, um, investors, you know, public and private, should also you know come to the party and join. as far as cooperation is, is concerned, and he he also addressed the. The delegates, you know, following what Sputra, um, um, I beg your pardon, the, um, electricity minister, Josienzo also touched on, on, on how Mm. important it is that the state, you know, should be at the forefront of this, um, um, hydrogen economy and, you know, not be basically retrenched to the, to the back. And there must also be equitable distribution of the benefits of this green hydrogen and it must also benefit the poor, Mandy.
2: What else did the Electricity Minister, Hossien Siromagopa, have to say, particularly in light of the fact that there's often such confusing messaging coming from government in terms of renewables?
4: Yes, indeed. Um, he spoke on renewables in a general, general sense, you know, uh, whether it's wind power or it's solar. He did also touch on those. But on, on this hydro- green hydrogen specifically, he does say that it's important that the country uses the current crisis that we have, which is the energy crisis, you know, um, to its own benefit by focusing, you know, vigorously on, on this green form of energy. And he's also calling on these public and private investors that are present at this. And these are massive companies like BMW, you know, Sassol, as well as Anglo, that these kind of partners must invest up to $6 billion each, you know, for renewable and green hydrogen on the continent. He's also calling for cooperation for a or corridors, basically, you know, that e- countries within the region can use as cooperation. Mm. For example, South Africa South Africa must team up with Namibia as well as Angola as, far as part of this one specific corridor that can exploit this green hydrogen and, and, and clean energy and contribute to not just South Africa's economy, mainly, but... The, the economy on, on the entire continent.
2: Babalo, thank you. Babalo and Denze, EWN reporter, who is at that uh, Second Green Hydrogen Summit, which is taking place at the Century City Conference Centre today, listening to the Electricity Minister and the President speaking today. Let's get some analysis on this now with Matthew Cruz, who is an energy analyst at Home Energy. Uh, Matthew, good afternoon to you. What is the significance of this uh, Second Green Hydrogen Summit? It is the, the second one. So give us mm-hmm. some context about
5: where we are in terms of of green hydrogen in South Africa. Great, so yeah, uh, it's quite significant to answer the the question very shortly from my side that we're having this um, second South African green hydrogen summit. And um, the the context for this one is a bit different to the first one, which was the first um, summit took place in order to establish um, the, the green hydrogen focus within the country, and then also to partner with um, our neighboring countries regarding a green hydrogen alliance. So we partnered with Egypt, Kenya, Mauritania, Morocco, Namibia, Ethiopia, and, Ang- and Angola. And uh, the, the purpose for this is to join the world in its ambition to get down to zero carbon emissions by 2050. Um, and in order to do that, we need to um, bring the, the amount of hydrogen used in the world into the energy mix. We need to bring up the amount that's used to 10 to 20% of the global energy mix. And in South Africa, that means that we'd actually remove 10 to 15% of our domestic emissions by by investing into the green hydrogen economy. And um, South Africa is perfectly positioned mm-hmm. in order to be a big con- contributor to the green hydrogen revolution in, in in the world. So it's very significant from my perspective.
2: There's a strong correlation, Matthew, between solar and hydrogen. Um. Mm-hmm. So so this pairing with with hydrogen in terms of of solar rollout in South Africa, what does that tell us? Mm-hmm.
5: Great, yeah, and that's one of the reasons why South Africa is perfectly positioned to be at the forefront of the green hydrogen transition. It's because of our amazing solar resources that we have, and also our amazing solar investment that's already taken place within South Africa. So we've heard recently from uh, ESCOM that there's an estimated 4,400 megawatts of solar rooftop PV that's been installed in the country over the last year, and that's about four stages of load shedding. And what's very interesting about the solar um, and its, its correlation or pairing with hydrogen is that it's being viewed as the best way to create green hydrogen. That's actually how you get green hydrogen is you use solar power in the middle of the day to convert water into hydrogen and oxygen. And you can use the hydrogen later then to power um, things like large vehicles and also um, power electricity generators for use in the evening when the sun's not here. So in that sense, there's, a, there's an amazing partnership or, or correlation between solar being rolled out in South Africa, and that's through Home Energy, the company that I'm working for, the spokesperson for. We're a big part of that, um, and we're very much looking forward to the clean energy transition that's taking place, mm-hmm. pairing solar with hydrogen.
2: Uh, Matthew, it all sounds great um, and, and in theory when, when you have a green mm-hmm. hydrogen summit like this and, and it really is the buzzword at the moment in, in the corporate mm-hmm. space but when you have conflicting messaging from government and you still have an energy minister that is very much married to to coal uh, is there still conflicting messaging coming from government or is, is that not the case anymore?
5: So I would say yeah. there previously has been conflicting messaging um, and it's been positioned in the, ter- in the lines of um, you know, you said the word married to coal in that sense that the coal power stations are protected not closed down when they're expected to close down uh, in order to reduce our emissions. So we're going to continue using coal in the country. And that's mostly from the light of the energy crisis requiring us to keep our energy generation online even though it's dirty so it's what i see is is the, the government kind of coming to terms with the reality of what's going on in south africa after realizing okay you can't just shut down the power stations because then you'll have no power and then understanding that in order to get to the place where you can start shutting down power stations you need to provide power in the evening and that then requires us to have things like hydrogen or green hydrogen powering up electricity generators in the evening so i see it actually in terms of um being married to coal i see as like the understanding from the government side that there needs to be a partnership between the non-green electricity generation in the country with the solar and hydrogen as the way that we're going to go successfully through the mm-hmm. green energy transition going forward
2: Matthew, thank you very much. Uh, Matthew Cruz, Energy Analyst analyst at Home Energy, speaking to us there, just giving us some context and some understanding around this Green Hydrogen Summit, the second one uh, that is taking place today. The president's been speaking there. It looks at uh, our country's potential as an early-stage, large-scale, low-cost, world-class green hydrogen production hub and the total value chain investment destination as well, uh, and the, the argument there that green hydrogen is a key competition Component of our future energy mix. You always hear about the energy mix, which means coal as well as renewables as well. What are your thoughts on that? Let me know what you think.
1: 702.
4: 702. Mandy
2: Weiner. Weekdays 12 to 1 p.m. 1225 on the Midday Report. Let's look at the water situation in Joburg now, because Joburg Water said that there were hailstorms that caused challenges. Ah, there's that euphemistic word, challenges again, to Randwaters' Zekerbosch system. It's impacted Joburg Waters' infrastructure. Uh, they've put out a statement saying that some areas have been affected. This includes uh, Hurst Hill, Crosby, Brixton Reservoirs. Have a listen to Nombusa Shabalala, the Joburg Water spokesperson. Randwaters'
0: Zekerbosch water treatment plant power lines were affected by a hailstorm on Sunday evening, the 15th of October, and subsequently tripped the plant. Consequently, this load reduction and setback impacted Johannesburg Water's key reservoirs and towers, which are supplied from the Zekerbosch Water Treatment Plant. Johannesburg Water is therefore noticing a decline on the reservoir levels in the sentence system, this has also affected the commando system, which feeds the Hurstill, Crosby and Brixton reservoirs. The Randberg Ruderport reservoirs are also showing signs of strain. Johannesburg Water is monitoring the system and will provide further
2: updates on the recovery of the impacted infrastructure. It's so the Joburg Water spokesperson explaining the situation at the moment. Well, the Water Community Action Network, Water Can, uh, which is an initiative of Outer, is demanding accountability from Joburg and Randwater over these constant water shortages that we are seeing. Dr. Ferriel Adam is the Executive Manager of WaterCAN, joining us now. Dr. Adam, good afternoon to you. Thank you for, for your time. Uh, we are frequently seeing outages in the system in, in Joburg, in, in the whole of Gauteng. Uh, this is of concern to you at Water can. Absolutely.
6: Good afternoon, Mandy, and thank you for having me on your show. But yes, you are absolutely right. We, we are very concerned about the outages. We And, and we we actually worried that our infrastructure might be even worse than we think. And that is why we are demanding accountability. That's why we've been asking Jova Water and Rand Water for site visits so that we can see this. I mean, hailing, I, I saw that report as well about the hailstorm. Firstly, i mean we 've been having hailstorms in howking for a very long time. How is it that at this point when we at, you know, we hard hit in we hard hit in, in Johannesburg area that we're we finding that hail all of a sudden is also affecting mm. um, you know is this really happening and that 's why we 're saying we need to have site visits to actually know for sure what's going on.
2: What kind of reception are, are, are you getting to these requests? Is Joe Water or Randwater uh, meeting with you, speaking to you? They have spoken about the, the infrastructure uh, and, and how there are problems with the infrastructure, but how transparent are they being? They're
6: not being very transparent at all. So there's a few things, right? One is, firstly, the, the mayor about, I think it was last week, uh, announced, and uh, of city of Joburg mayor announced a few projects and announced um, the amount of money they're planning to spend on, on, on various projects. And we, we looked at some of the, you know, the older budget, the 2022-2023 uh, budget, um, but the most recent budget has not even been publicized, so we don't even have that one. But we looked at the, the budget that previously was in, and we looked at the what they, the amount that they were talking about. So the project, the pro, we, we have no problem with upgrading, but we'd want to know, let's be transparent, tell us where you're getting the money from, because as we look at it now, there's about 340 million that we don't know where they'll be getting that money from. Hmm. So... Are they taking it from other projects? And that's the kind of questions we've asked. Are they you know, moving money around? Are they getting a loan? We need to know that as citizens. So the transparency is not there. There's another aspect where Zandwater has um, had what is Zandwater Services, which is a private company and functions as a state-owned enterprise. That was shut down uh, a couple of years ago. And now we see that it's, it's been it's been it's you know reformed, but forming another state owned entity doesn't help when we know that our state owned entities in South Africa have basically been uh, leaking buckets of water mm. use the phrase but I mean that's what it is money goes into them, and nothing gets done so on the budgets on the state of our infrastructure on how decisions are made are made in terms of how does land Water decide how much water needs to be given to the city of Johannesburg or city of Tswane? Those are the kinds of things we don't have answers for. We've sent letters to them. We've had no responses. Um, we're giving them till the end of today. Um, and and then hopefully, if we, hopefully we'll get a response or at least a telephone call. Um, but if not, we're looking as civil society to be more than just water can. With a whole range of other organizations, residents associations, we have to come together to
2: take this issue on. Dr. Farrell, Adam, thank you very much, Executive Manager of WaterCan, which is an initiative of organization undoing tax abuse outer uh, that's demanding accountability from Joburg and Rand Water over these constant water shortages. And now it's back to Mandy Wiener on the Midday Report.
7: This is 702. Let's walk the talk.
2: 12.38 on the Madeira report at the start of the show. I told you that the ANC-NEC was holding uh, its NEC meeting taking place, a three-day meeting. Today is the last day of that meeting. Uh, we are expecting Pravin Gordon, the public enterprises minister, to be speaking at that NEC meeting. The president will close it later, Becky tele the police minister. We played you some audio a bit earlier on about him speaking about the SIU and uh, moves and arrests that have been made to do with illegal mining. Tiddy Madea, EWN's Associate Politics Editor, is there for us. Sidi, good afternoon to you. Uh, Tell us what some of the key issues are that have been discussed at the ANC-NEC meeting. Good afternoon, Nanny.
7: First let me tell you, it's a full house today. I've been coming here this entire weekend and it's been quite sparse. But from the parking, it's quite packed because at the heart of today's engagement, from my understanding, is the country-state-owned enterprises. There are lots of questions that AC members have been asking, of course, on the back of a lot of the resignations that we've seen over recent days. So a lot of people in the NEC wanting to hear from the minister what is actually going on at Transnet. Why is that informal Kwana resigned at ESCOM? So that is a big, major talking point that will be taking place within the closed doors, of course, here at the Birchwood um, conference center in boxburg Mandy but we also had a chance to speak to the police minister as you pointed out Becky and Bushello, who's the chairperson of the peace and security subcommittee giving a quick briefing about what their thoughts are about crime in the country a response to the census as well as what their future plans are as far as dealing with issues such as migration um, and criminality in the country
2: are we expecting Minister godan to <laughs> to hold a press conference later after he speaks to to the NEC uh, uh any any significant public statement to be made.
7: No, none of us are expecting a, a, a briefing from the minister. Some of us have asked the NC if it's possible. They have been bringing in different leaders after they've presented in the NEC. So we are asking to hear from the minister. We don't have a green uh, the green light on that as yet, Mandy. I think if it does, again, it will be a full house. A lot of people want to understand his own understanding of what is going on. He's been accused of meddling at the SOE. So there's quite a bit that he needs to answer to, hopefully, he'll also take the nation into his confidence. But we don't have um, a guy as yet. What we know for now, though, is that the president will close. We understand that that will be around, around 6 p.m. this afternoon and this evening. But that's really just about it. If you remember, a lot of these NEC meetings are hurry up and wait. A long, lengthy waiting game uh, outside of
2: mm-hmm. the NEC meeting. The plight of uh, the political journalist Sidi Madhya. Enjoy that long wait uh, outside the meeting. Sidi Madhya, EWN's Associate Politics Editor Pravin Gordon, expected there today to speak about the situation at the state owned entities. 702.
1: The Midday Report with Mandy Weiner. Let's walk the talk.
2: We are watching some big court cases uh, for you today. The one is a dispute in the courts over the uh, the throne of the Zulu nation. We'll go there in a couple of minutes, but first, the Senzo trial. That's back underway today. A trial within a trial. A confession is in the spotlight today. Chawatso EWN reporter. Tell us about what's been happening in court today. Good
8: afternoon, uh, Mandy. So. The Pretoria High Court is really about today, so, so busy, um, with the Zulu royal household matter. And uh, as a result, the Meiyua matter has actually been affected by that. Um, we started over an hour and a half later because the presiding judge in, the, in this matter, Judge Rathamokhwateng, just couldn't, couldn't get past the traffic. Eventually, when the matter uh, was about to start, uh, we saw all counsel going to the chambers to address the judge on developments in this matter. So what's happened now, Mandy, is that a new um, lawyer, an advocate, actually, has been uh, brought in uh, into the team um, of the first two accused, led by uh, Sipo Ramusebele. Advocate Tulani Gomezuru will be assisting Ramusepene in his team as they argue in the trial within the trial. We saw Ramasapila introducing ngomezulu to the court, uh, saying that she, uh, he's going to be part of the team now going forward. ngomezulu then has asked for some time, Mandy, to familiarise himself with the testimonies that have already been given and to consult with the first two accused who allegedly made those confessions. And so um, we heard the court today, Judge uh, Mokhating, um, saying that he cannot deny ngomezulu the opportunity to consult And so that's what's happening now um this afternoon. Um so there's further delays now in the Mayor trial. We're hoping the matter will progress tomorrow. We heard from the state advocate George Baloy that he's not opposing uh today's postponement, provided that the matter uh proceeds tomorrow, where we're actually expecting a magistrate to take the witness stand.
2: Uh, That was my next question is who are we now expecting to testify in this uh, trial within a trial? I understand one of the police officers who was also with the accused when he pointed out the crime scene will testify as well. Yes,
8: so that's one of the witnesses. Uh, he um, is a police officer that uh, went with the first accused, with Kulela Svia. after he made that confession to the scene where Svia then pointed out um, what, what happened according to him. Uh, but we're expecting a testimony from the magistrate. This is the magistrate um, who, uh, the second accused, Bunga Danzi, made his confession before. So we know that Svia only made the confession um, before um, Colonel, a colonel, a lieutenant colonel, Mboto, who testified last week, who is a uh, justice of peace. That means he can take a confession, but with um, uh, the second accused in standing, he was actually before a magistrate when he confessed. And so uh, that magistrate will take the witness stand tomorrow. We also know that the first two people that have already testified, that's the letter and Colonel Mboto, as well as the constable who actually transported the are going to be recalled back to the
2: witness stand, as they also will be cross-examined um, by right. the new lawyer on that team. Komoto, thank you very much. Komoto Modise, EWN reporter, with the latest there on the Senzo Miyuwa trial and that trial within a trial, which we're now going to to see unfold. So in the same courthouse, as as she explained to us, there's another big uh, court case underway, and that is the challenge, the legal challenge, to the Zulu throne, Prince Simakade who also identifies himself as king of the Zulu nation, is challenging the president's decision to recognize King Misuzulu as heir to the Zulu throne. Noko Mtambo, EWN reporter, is following that matter for us. Noko good afternoon to you. Tell us about this legal challenge that is being made by Prince Simakade. Good afternoon,
0: Mandy. So we've got advocate Tobani, Tobani SC, who's representing Prince Mbonisi, who has attached himself to the application by Princess Nagate in challenging President Soramakos, as well as Cocte's decision to recognize Prince Mesizoulu as uh, the king to the throne. And there's three submissions that uh, the SC is essentially making here. The first of those being that the president's decision um, was made hastily when uh, Prince uh, Prince Mutuzulu was awarded the, uh, the kingship uh, last year in, in March by uh, the government. He says that the government in South Africa made no, uh, you know, didn't take into account at all some of the outstanding customary processes that needed to take place in identifying who the successor to the throne would be. So, Advocate Masugu says that he's not arguing uh, who should be the king. Or not, he's simply saying that the government needs to hang on for a second and take into account, or allow for the processes in the Zulu royal family to play themselves out as they should. Um, You know, they are challenging a number of decisions that were made during several family meetings among the Zulu royal family, uh, saying a number of those were done in the States, particularly when the, the will of Queen Regent Mantonbi was read out, um, identifying King Nsuzuru as the successor, King Nsuzuru is the son, the eldest son of both um, King, uh, Queen. Queen, uh, Queen Regent Mantonbi as well as the late King uh, mm-hmm. Zolipin.
2: Nokukanya, thank you very much. Uh, Noko Kanya, Mtambo, EWN reporter, giving us a, a summary there of that argument taking place today in uh, the High Court in Pretoria, Prince Simakade, who also identifies himself as King of the Zulu Nation, challenging the President's decision to recognise King Mrs Zulu as heir to the Zulu throne. Uh, a huge number of people there today, as you heard from Homoto earlier, uh, that courthouse, we're um, seeing uh, many, many uh, supporters of, of, of both sides, I understand police cordoning off that precinct as well uh, in, as that civil matter and plays itself in the courts What's up Mandy? On
9: 072 702 1702
1: Guys, come on South Africa, please just just let go of this uh, if the parks win uh, it's, it's gonna be a holiday, you're sing the whole thing guys, just just wait for them to win and then we'll take it from there you're changing everything, guys. Come on, South Africa, man, my fellow South Africans. What's wrong with you guys? Come on, Koto from Town Park.
2: Hey Chato! Speaking of my fellow South Africans, I think a lot of people thought the phone call from President Ramaphosa almost jinxed the Springboks uh, yesterday. Uh, but we were victorious. We we fought and fought like absolute Trojans uh, last night, winning by one point. Uh, we managed to to hang on. We defeated the hosts. Um, and uh, lucky guy, Mr. Shelele himself, Robert Marawa, the host of Marawa Sports Worldwide in Paris, and he sent us this voice note.
9: Good afternoon, Mandy. Great to be on your show. Still coming through live from France. All I can tell you is that post the game, uh, it is a very dead city. Uh, You would swear that there was no major event, never mind the Rugby World Cup that is happening down here. It is so quiet. It is as quiet as it was when the final whistle went on the day. And you know when you're a traveling team and you are the underdogs and you are outnumbered. And the final whistle goes, and there is no reaction. That is the best reaction you can ever feel as a as a fan of sport. And that's exactly what the South Africans had yesterday, a taste of victory in the sweetest, sweetest way ever. Uh, the most ridiculous game of rugby um, for me. That first half, uh, we did, did not know what was going on. That first half, when, when it was just raining in tries, Cyril Gray scoring <laughs> just after four minutes. And then the conversion, obviously, he made a minute later. Uh, Kurt Lee Aronser, after eight minutes, so four minutes later, he was scoring a try. Mani Lepo conversion happening within 10 minutes. So going into that halftime break, we weren't sure if they would be able to keep up with that momentum, even in that second half. But then again, you know, the wily old thinking of people like Rusty Rasmus, as well as Jacques Ninaba, we always expect those substitutions, the bomb squad, to come in uh, within about the 60th minute mark. But Pfaff De Tlark, Andre Pollard, Arkez Niemann coming in within just 45 minutes. And then within a minute later, you make a big call, big decision. Sia Kulisi comes off. You know, Dion Fari has to step in for him. And then that's where the plethora of other substitutions are to come through. And what a change they made because now you're dealing with the old God you know, you're dealing with the, uh, Dwayne and What can he bring in? Quaker Smith. What can he bring in? Peter Steff, the toy. Uh, What is contribution? Is Billy LaRue uh, even contributing? But for me, it was about the big margins. It was about the big calls that had to be made. And we know that Ramos seldom ever misses a kick. And it's about Cheslin Colby charging down a very difficult thing to do. But just the thinking, the commitment, putting his life, Honored and for his country, showed what a rounded game he had, a man-of-the-match type of performance that he had, even attempting a drop goal at some point. Bongimbo <laughs> Nambi, what can I say? He got the man-of-the-match in the day. A leader. When Sia's not there, he steps up into the leadership role, but also just his line-out throwing, equally as brilliant. I, I can go on and on. I can talk about Iban Ezebeth, who was beaten, bruised, probably nose-broken, Who knows? He was off for 10 minutes. Uh, But the brilliant thing about these South Africans is that within the 10 minutes when he was off, we only conceded three points. Um, So the resilience was there. The fight was there. It was an atmosphere at that stadium that is very difficult to describe. All I remember happening is that we were asked to leave the stadium within minutes of our victory. So, hey, we keep on celebrating. We've sung the Shoshaloza. We've sung goes to see a gazillion times at the venue, and it was South Africa showcasing itself as that sporting nation. And once again, rugby at the forefront. How far can they go? England next.
2: Robert Marawa, the host of Marawa Sports Worldwide in Paris for us, uh, describing Paris as a dead city this morning because everyone is, uh, I don't think they're nursing the hangover. I think they're just nursing the, the wounds of losing to the Springboks. Lots of commentary um, about the the umpire, the referee, and uh, some questionable decisions. Allegedly, well, that's world rugby, right? That's world rugby. Moande Mateza joining us in studio to unpack uh, everything that happened in the sports world this past week weekend uh one the reaction from the french captain uh, anton de has been hmm, not very good refereeing oh, we've seen this movie before right
10: <laughs> good afternoon mandy yeah I-, I would like to see what happens in the aftermath of that and whether he'll be sanctioned in the same way that Racy Erasmus, for instance was uh what was it two years ago uh during the Lions series um i i I, I, for the life of me, cannot agree with him. And I heard um, Jacques Ninabe uh, disagreeing with him as well, as well as Siakou Lissi there. Uh, it's one of those things as well. It's easy to say because you were on the winning side at the time. However, I think France had a lot of decisions going their way. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's a matter of, well, the game was one-sided or the ref mm. was in favour of South Africa. You see to, the I French
2: are, are sharing on social media um, an image of Peter Steff de Toy with his his arm up uh Fending off a, a French uh, attacker, um, and then also some questions around Cheslin's uh, mercurial charge down. Yeah.
10: I, I feel like it's one of those things where um, the margins are so tiny in a game that you start nitpicking at things and it, look, it was missed in real time. Uh, I think if you had to go back and I think it's something that Rassi Rasmus also says that if you have to look back on the game, South Africa could also p- pick up one or two things that the referee missed on their side of the things. Um, but I think uh, one of the things that was very key in what Jacques Ninabe said in the press conference yesterday that I enjoyed was the fact that um, they tried to play in such a way that the referee's decision don't influence the outcome of the game in such that they don't have um, the margin for error where the referee's decision costs... uh them points either mm. side or you, you end up looking at, but if the referee didn't do this, would we have? Um, so there's no questions of that and there's no regrets from the South African side at the end of the day. And I think the, the one thing about the scoreboard is that it never lies. And I think um, I'm one person who never ever believes that the better side lost on a day. I don't think it's ever happened in sport um, in the history of any sport ever. Um, so, nah, I I will disagree with you on that until uh, the end of time. Uh, but I, I think South Africa will full. Value for their victory, and I think France will only have themselves to blame uh, for anything that happened on uh, the, on the day.
2: And overall, uh, your assessment of of the semi final. Somehow, England managed to make their way into a semi final
10: spot. I was rooting for Fiji the whole time. I you really and the rest really of hoped, the world? Yeah, <laughs> I was really hoping that they'd put them right at the end, especially because uh, I think in one of the warm up games, England played Fiji as well, and Fiji ended up winning. It was a historic victory uh, back in August. So I was hoping for a repeat of that, um, but. Yeah, I think one of the things that makes England dangerous going into the semifinals is the fact that they aren't that great. They've gone about their business very quietly and it almost seems like they're one of those imposters who end up in a room and you don't know how they got there. Uh, and I think that uh, makes them quite quite dangerous and I think they will be a side to look out for. I don't think it's going to be as easy as we all hope it will be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really i am one of those people who really hopes it's going to be easy. I can't go through an, a match like I did last night again where my emotions are on uh, roller coaster. Um, so yeah, they, they game was probably uh it was fiercely contested i actually enjoyed the way that fiji go about their business with the little that they have they end up doing so so well uh i would love to see them get more international rugby uh against your the better sides your south mm. africa against um tier one nations yeah, yeah. your tier one nations and that mm. that'll be really really nice to see but i think for for what it was the weekend of rugby was a treat uh the yeah Ireland versus All Blacks game was amazing to see. Uh, Argentina coming through against Wales was really, really good as well. And then, yeah, last night's one I think was probably the best of the of the bunch.
2: Uh, I know it was a weekend full of rugby, but I have to say that one of my sporting highlights of the weekend <laughs> has to be. Afghanistan upsetting yes. England at the Cricket World Cup and they, they just played really well.
10: Yeah, that was incredible to watch actually. Um, also the fact that it was their first victory against uh, one of the top sides uh, in eight years at the World Cup yeah, as well. Yeah, they beat Scotland. They beat in, Scotland back at the, uh, the 2015 yeah. World Cup. So it was really, really good to see and also just the strides that they've made. It's really, really cool uh, because Afghanistan doesn't play home matches for instance and what they have to the pool that they have to pick from is very very slim. Um, so it really really is good to see um with England um there's just something about this England side that isn't there from the 2019 side. It hardly looks like the world beaters that you had that were uh, led by Owen Morgan uh, back in 2019. I think this time around, uh, they, they look like one of those teams that are also there, uh, not one of the, the real contenders. And what after three games, they've only won one of the three. Uh, and Afghanistan would have been a game that you would have picked them to win quite easily mm. at that. Um, so I think looking forward to their next game, which is against South Africa at the weekend, I think we can be very, very confident. Especially if we go on and do really well tomorrow we, we uh, play New
2: Zealand tomorrow is the, right? Netherlands. the Netherlands we play Sorry, the Netherlands, Netherlands
10: tomorrow so hopefully that'll be a game where a lot of players who probably haven't found their best form start finding their form so we can go into that game against England and I hope for instance that uh, Timber Bavuma side really really puts uh, the, a marker down and makes a big big statement mm. with that game
2: uh, very quickly Bafana yeah. In 30 oh,
10: not the greatest thing. Uh once again, they're preparing for AFCON as well as their World Cup qualifiers that begin uh next month in the next international break in November. However, one of those things again, very disappointing to see the turnout uh that go to see Bafana games. And also not just that, it's disappointing that the performance um Bafana should not be drawing against uh S-O-Din. should be doing a lot better than they do. Um and it's just Yeah, it's one of those things. It's very hard to get excited by Bafana Bafana. And I hope that uh, with their game against Ivory Coast tomorrow, they do a lot better and uh, ride on the wave that all South Africans are currently on at the moment.
2: Mwanda Mateza, EWN Sports reporter, wrapping up a victorious weekend for the box and for the Proteus.
0: The Midday Report.
2: So a few things that uh, we're watching for you this afternoon uh, that's in the Pretoria High Court uh, Prince Simakade's challenge uh, to uh, to uh, King Mrs. Zulu as the official king of the AmaZulu that's taking place today the green hydrogen summit underway and then also the ANC NEC meeting wrapping up today Pravin Gordhan the public enterprises minister expected to address issues around the SOEs there